right, church family, let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, I'm going to do a two-part message this Sunday and next Sunday, dealing with what I believe is one of the greatest issues in our society today. While you're finding that place, 1 Timothy 1, just a quick update, Phyllis and I were so blessed to represent Calvary and the kingdom uh, as we were training leaders in Vienna, Austria and Madrid, Spain these last 10 days. Uh, just amazing that what we saw, the heroes we met, the people out on the front lines uh, in northern Afri- Africa, uh, completely Muslim for, for many generations. In those countries, it's against the law to shake the faith of a Muslim, and yet we find them being saved and coming to Christ. Areas where uh, the gospel has not been able to get in an actual missionary or a person to be there. We're hearing these amazing testimonies of, of those in, in Islam, Muslims, uh, in their sleep, having dreams uh, of Jesus, a visitation of Jesus coming in. There are places where the mosque uh, are having Bible studies because the hunger for God, where people have gotten saved. It's amazing. One of our missionaries said a young lady came to him and said, you know, I read the Koran, but there's nothing there. There's no life in, in this book. What do I do? She said, I can't be an atheist because I believe in God, but he's not in the Koran. Where do I search? Man, what an open invitation. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. And they do that at the risk of even being in prison. Then we, we uh, heard the story of a couple in a small little nation of Monte Negro. It's right there on the Adriatic Sea, just across from Italy. And uh, a couple, someone handed them a Bible. They had never heard about Jesus. They had never seen a church. They had never met a Christian. These are people right now. And by reading their Bible, they understood how to be saved. And the husband and the wife both gave their lives to Christ. And then they said, we'd like to know another Christian. We'd like to see another Christian somewhere. And so they looked on, on, they searched on the internet and found this church where Phyllis and I were teaching the, the International Church of Vienna, Austria. And this couple bought a bus ticket and rode 21 hours on a bus to get to Vienna, Austria from Montenegro just to meet the pastor of that church. And they told him, we saw your face. We wanted to meet a Christian and see what it was like. And he talked with them and prayed with them. And he said, can you guys stay? We want to help. They said, no. As soon as church is over, we've got to get back on a bus and ride it 21 hours back home. And they went to Montenegro and found in the entire nation, there are 150 Christians in the whole country. 150 in the entire country. Every search they could make. And so now our partners that we work with are networking throughout Montenegro and helping and training pastors. It, it just goes on and on. It's amazing. We met a young missionary couple in Prague, Czech, Prague, Czech Republic. And they said it's the largest, it's the most, uh, what would I say, the highest population of atheists of any city in Europe. 70% of the city identify themselves as an atheist. No belief in God, belief in God at all. Just amazing. And so we, we, we want, I want you to know that everywhere the gospel goes, it works. Aren't you thankful? People are searching and desperate for God. I didn't hear that. Aren't you thankful? If we can just get the gospel to them, it's what they're searching for. No matter their background, no matter their religion, no matter where they've been, they're searching desperately for the reality of Christ. They may not know what that is until they meet him. And so what we're doing, what you're doing is working. We were able to train leaders, train pastors. Uh, they were encouraged. They shared with us 
was the greatest move of God they'd had in their meetings in many years. Aren't you thankful God answers prayer? Thank you for praying. Thank you for partnering. Thank you for making it happen. And we're just blessed to have represented the Lord and you guys and so blessed to to be back home. It, it, it was an amazing time. You know, Phyllis has taken three ladies' prayer teams over to Europe. I said, Pastor, why go to Europe? Well, today, sad to say, Europe may be the least Christianized of all the continents on the earth right now. They're less than 2 to 3% Christians, many places less than 1%. It's just hard to imagine. And you know, unfortunately, oftentimes, whatever happens in Europe is happening in America one generation later. We follow the time. We have to make a stand where we are. Can somebody say amen to that and preach this gospel right where we are? The lady that's over that entire region and continent, uh, over prayer task force teams, she and Phyllis got together. I knew if those two ladies met, what was going to happen? And man, they bonded and, and the plans for future prayer teams going into these spiritually dark places are, are in motion. So it, it was exciting and it was, it was tremendously, uh, you know, timely, strategic. So here's what I want to share today and next Sunday. Uh, I believe that one of the words that unfortunately has become, become a buzzword, it's a big thing that our culture's grappling with today, and that's victimization. Everywhere you go and everything, there, we, we're, we're hearing victimization. It's very real. And we need to know what's the response as a church. These three words, victimization, identity, and labels. It's where we are. And we need to ask ourselves, who's labeling us? Where do we get our identity? How do we establish our identity? What happens with the victimization that's going on around us? What's the biblical perspective? Do you know that you can be a born-again Christian and be forgiven and still be living under an identity that's less than what God has for you? Do you know that you can love Jesus and he loves you and you've received forgiveness, but you haven't learned how to walk out of the bondage that life has put on you. And so there's so much more that God has for us. And I want to make sure that we're responding to all these voices uh, from a place of healing and health from the word of God. So let's look at Paul's life, the great apostle, and see what he says about himself and his reputation and his identity, and what God did for him. Are you ready? Let's take a journey together. This week and next week, it is going to be a very powerful and freeing time together. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Notice this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Look at this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then look what he says. Of whom I am the worst. Wow. What a title. What an identity. Paul says Jesus came to save sinners, and he says, I was the worst one of them all. Why is that? Well, if you'll remember, Paul persecuted the church. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He threw them in prison. He arrested them and turned them over to Rome to die in the Colosseum. He ripped babies out of mother's arms. He separated husbands and wives. He imprisoned these people. He was passionate about his hatred for Christ. He said, you know, when I think about it, I may have been the worst sinner of all. What a identity. What an identity. What, what a place. Paul not only, he said, I'm not the victim. I was the victimizer. And then let's read the next verse. So let's think about this. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience 
as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So watch this. What did Paul say? He said, if you wanted to categorize me, if you wanted to label me, if you want to talk about what my identity was, I was the worst sinner on the planet. Now, I don't know how you measure that, but that's how he saw himself. He said, that's where I live my life. And he said, and yet, through the mercy of God, through meeting Jesus Christ, God took my identity. God took my reputation. God took the label I had. And so transformed my life that now, instead of being a victim, instead of being labeled, I have become the example of what God can do to change anybody's life. How many are thankful that God changes labels and identities? Paul said, I want you to see that. Guys, we need to understand this as Christians, all right? Now, let, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. I want to give you some foundation scriptures, then let's make application. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 16. I want you to see this. Are you finding that with me on your device or in your Bible? 2 Corinthians 5. Let's look at verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. All right? If we're going to deal with victimization, identity, and labels, we're going to have to change the way we view life. As a believer, you can do that. As a believer, you're empowered to do that. So what does he say? Look at this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We change the way we look at ourselves and the people around us. Something's happened. Let's keep reading. Though we once regarded even Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now look at verse 17, critical here in this whole understanding. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Why? The old has gone, and what happens? The new is here. The new has come. Paul says to us, the Word of God says to us, that no matter how you used to see yourself, no matter how other people used to see you, there is an experience, a relationship available to us. No matter if we were the victim or the victimizer, if we were the ones who did the breaking or we were the broken. Paul says, when we're in Christ, a new creation comes. How many thankful for a new title in your life? A new identity, new creation. What happens? The old has gone, but you need to see this. There are a lot of things that people would like to stop in their life, but they don't want to give their life to Christ. There are a lot of issues that people get wrapped up in that they never planned on getting wrapped up in. How many know that to be the truth? Has that ever happened? Remember the old thing we learned years and years and years and years ago, Jesse Duplantis? There are three things, Jesse Duplantis told us, three things sin will do to you. Three things sin will do. You ready? Number one, sin will keep you longer than you planned on staying. How many found out that to be true? Huh? Come on, be honest with me. It'll keep you longer than you planned on staying. Come on. It'll, it'll cost you more than you planned on paying. Come on, how many has the devil ever ripped you off? How, how many would like to have all the dollars you wasted serving the devil? All right. So it'll keep you longer than you planned on staying. It'll cost you more than you planned on paying. It'll take you farther than you planned on going. So there are a lot of people that don't really want to accept Christ, but they'd like to get rid of some of their baggage. But here's the problem. You know how the only way the old goes? What does it say? The new is here. Do you know how you get rid of the old? You've got to get something new. Something stronger has to push the old thing out. Now listen, I, I don't like telling you this story. I wish I didn't have to, but I, I, I think you'll understand 
I want to to be real transparent. You know, I had some years in my life where I wasn't a pastor. I had some years, I call them BC, before Christ. Anybody have a BC life? I was a prodigal son. I'm not proud of it. Don't want to give the devil any glory. Let me just give an illustration. I grew up in a godly home. Many of you knew my mother and father. They were here in years in the church for years with us. And, and I had a period of time where I got away from the Lord. I, my, my friends were bad. My company was bad. My lifestyle was bad. And part of that lifestyle, I'm, I'm not going to talk about everything, but this one, I picked up some really bad language. Now, no, so, so you've heard me preach hundreds of times. You've never heard me say a bad word. God can change your language. Come on. God can change your language. I had, a bad, I had some bad language. I, 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 I cursed. And I wanted to stop because it was embarrassing. I didn't want to, you know, I kept being afraid I'm going to slip and say it to my mom or dad. How many of you know if you do something enough, it's going to catch up with you someday? So I wanted to, I didn't want to become a Christian. I just wanted to stop cursing so much. So I tried and I tried and I tried, but it wouldn't stop. And so I, I, I lived under that label. I lived under that identity. I lived, that, that was something that I was, something that I did. And I, and I couldn't make it go. I could not make the old go away. And I forget, this is, what, this is characteristic of what happens when you live like that. I remember one day, I have a younger brother, his name's Blair. Many of you know Blair. He used to be my little brother. Now he's just my younger brother because he's bigger than me now. All right? So Blair came in one day, and, and I was sitting on the couch, and he walked in, and he goes up to my mother. He says, Mom, what does boop? And he said this word, what does blank mean? I said, oh, dear God. He didn't do that. I mean, it was a terrible word. Now, if you knew my mother, it was a miracle. She didn't faint. Mom was a Christian Southern lady. How many understand what I'm talking about? We couldn't use slang words at our house. You know, cursing, you might as well, but slang, no slang. So all of a sudden, my life went into slow motion. Has it ever happened to you where you know something really terrible is about to happen? So my brother walks in and says this terrible word to my mother, and I knew. It was like my whole life's going in front of me. Went into slow motion because I knew what my mother was going to do. I knew it. And she did. The first thing she said, who did you hear say that? Oh, the chills down my back. So I'm sitting on the couch. Look, sometimes you got to get away and get some room, let it calm down. So I hear her say to him, who did you hear say that? I already got up off the couch. I was walking to the front door. You know, you got to get out of town sometimes. You know, I was going for the door and I almost got to the door and, and, and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm trying to hurry. You know, it's just that slow motion. And he said some kid's name at school. I was like, thank God. And I turned around and walked back and sat down on the couch like everything was fine. I'm going to scare me. But you know what was going on? I was in a label. I had an issue in my life. I had something going on. I, I had an identity that I wasn't proud of. But let me tell you what happened. It never left me. Until the day I met Jesus Christ. And the day I met Jesus Christ, you know why the old left me? Because the new came into me. You see, you can't get rid of the old until the new comes. You understand that? This isn't an exercise you can do on your own. It's not positive mental attitude. It's not vocal training. It's not higher education. I was doing all those things. But when Jesus Christ, when the new moved in, the old moved out. How many can say thank God for that? That's why we have an al- a drug and alcohol recovery ministry here. We don't believe we're better counselors, that we're smarter. We have better facilities. We're better funded. We know we have Jesus. We know that if the new comes in, the old has to move out. The Bible says there may be weeping for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. It's just like a hotel. Uh, Weepy's got to move out because joy's got a reservation. Come on. How many are thankful that when the new comes, the old leaves you alone? 
Paul says, I was chief among sinners. But Jesus moved in and the old things moved out of my life. We're talking about victimization. We're talking about identity. We're talking about labor. Let me give you one more verse and then we're going to make some application. Look with me at, with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. I just want to lay this foundation so you understand I'm coming from a biblical point of view. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. I love the tense of the verb in this, in this scripture, in this verse. Are you ready? The tense of the verb is critical here. Are you ready? You found 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Look at this. And that is what some of you were. What is that? Come on, grammar. We've been there. What is, what is that? That's a what? Past tense. He says, and that is what, there was a whole list leading up to this verse. Some of you were. Okay? Why are they not like that anymore? Why are they not who they were? Why are they no longer the victim or the victimizer? What happened to their identity and their label? Why are they not? Why? You were, but you were what? With what? They take a bath or a shower? No, no. How did they get rid of that stuff? What, is it? what were they washed with? The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. There's no sin stronger than his blood. Come on. Can somebody say amen to that? Then he said, you were sanctified. What does that big word mean? Sanctified literally means that not only did God forgive you, but he pulled you out of where you were and set you apart for him to do an amazing work with your life. And then he said, you were justified. What does that mean? That means God looks at you as if you never committed the sin in the first place. In the eyes of God, you never did it. Come on, how great is that? Not only are you forgiven, not only is the slate wiped clean in the mind of heaven and God, it never happened. So you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what are we learning? That no matter what we were, we can change. No matter what happened to us, something can be done about it. Now let's, let's, let's look at this for a minute. Victimization is the buzzword in our culture today. And my concern is, is that Christians are identifying themselves by their weakness or their sin or their abuse instead of who Christ says we are. Victimization, very real, very dangerous, very harmful. It's awful. But we need to see something. You need to hear what I'm going to say as we live with all these voices pounding on us today. See, today we're in a society that is very strange and how we've arrived here. Help, stay with me just a moment. We have the unimaginable devaluation of decency, of kindness, of respect for life, of truth, and in the void that that has created, what has come into the void? Perversion, selfishness, violence, and distrust. But here's where our culture, listen to me closely. They may want to call a Christian a hypocrite. Listen to me. The culture we live in today in America, you need to hear this from somebody, is the most hypocritical culture that has ever existed in this world. I'm going to say another term that I'll not back off. It is the most intellectually irresponsible culture that has ever existed in this country. Why do you say that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Because what our society has created has made the platform for victimization to be so prevalent. What do you mean, Pastor? Okay. If you are a person decrying victimization in our culture, and at the same time, 
You are saying there are no morals. There are no values. There is no truth. There is nothing that is a standard. It's only true to me if I think it's true. It's only true to me if it fits my moment. So if you take away our morals and you take away our values and you undergird truth and then you say it's terrible that they're victims, the culture that took away morals, took away values, took away truth is the culture that created the platform for victimization to spread like an epidemic through our culture today. That's where we are, why we're where we are, and it's the hypocrisy of the modern culture that we live in. So we see that that which is around us has created the opportunity for victimization to happen. And what has happened to women is horrible. What has been done to women in our culture is despicable. The abuse that's been done to little boys and little girls is, is unimaginable. The abuse and the victimization of minorities is inexcusable. What's been done to Christians at this moment around the world is unimaginable. The victimization to older people that are being abused and taken advantage of, it's unimaginable. The victimization uh, that's happening to abandoned husbands whose wives are leaving them with their children, unimaginable. The victimization that's happening to grandparents who are about to retire and now they're raising their grandchildren. Do you know that 40% of the children in America today, 40% are raised by their grandparents, not their parents. What we live in without question is a culture of victims. There's hardly anyone in this nation that has been bullied or abused or treated unkind or unfairly. So victimization is real. Victimization is wrong. It's painful. It's damaging. It's hurtful. But the question is, is there anything that can be done? Is there any response that we have to it? Because you see, you don't have a choice when you're a victim. It's not your fault. If you've been victimized, it's not your uh, responsibility. If you've been victimized, somebody did something to you that you were powerless to stop. Somebody did something to you that, that was unfair, unkind and unjust. So victimization is not a choice, but how I respond to my victimization is a choice that God gives me. You understand that there's a choice in this, not what you did to me, but how I choose to respond. Because see what's happening as a result of the victimization is the identities that we're taking on. And we have to choose. How am I going to respond? Is there any answer? Is there any hope for me? This is your identity. You know what your identity is? Your identity is the way you look at yourself. And the way you relate to the world around you. That's your identity. How do I see? When I look into the mirror, what do I see? How you look at yourself and how you relate to the world around you. That's your identity. For so many people that don't know Christ, their identity is a result of their victimization. They're who they are because of what you did to them. They're who they are because of what happened to them. But I want to go back again and say, victimization has no choices, but identity does. And as a believer, we have the grace of God to forgive us and take us just like we are. Are you listening to me? And the power of God to change us. God loves us enough to save us just like we are, and he loves us too much to leave us in that condition. Can you thank God for that? That, that we are coming as we are 
but we're late, not leaving like we came. See, in Christ, listen to me, guys, our, our identity is forgiveness. Come on, thank God, forgiveness. Our identity is freedom. Our identity is we're healed. Our identity is we're made whole. Our identity is that we've been transformed. My identity as a believer is not what someone did to me. I am not defined by your sin. I'm defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. My identity is not what you did. My identity is not what I did. My identity is not what happened to me. My identity is what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. Can anybody say amen to that? That is my identity. I have a choice. Not what you did, what Christ did. He accepted us. He loved us. He forgave us. He transformed us. That's where we are. So this is a big issue, victimization. Everybody is identifying themselves by the negativity in life. Everybody's identity is, by, is where they're hurt or where they're broken or what happened or what I can't do or what somebody did to me. I choose to say to you that Jesus Christ is bigger than the victimization and gives you an identity that is released from the controls of that. So should we talk about victimization? I think the question is not should we, the question is how shall we talk about victimization? So what should I do? Is it something that should be talked about? I say yes if. Did it bring encouragement when you talked about it? Did maybe, maybe it's good for someone to know, hey, you're not the only one that happened to. Maybe it's good for someone to know you're not alone in this thing. I'm with you. Maybe it's good for someone to know that they don't have to be ashamed of something that they were powerless and had no control over. That would be a good conversation. But if it stops there, it's not enough of a conversation. See, it's good to say, I'm with you. You don't have to be ashamed. You're not alone. And I'm for you. But if we stop there, we didn't give the gospel. We're not only should say that, and I think you should be ready before you start the conversation, to not only say those things, but to say, but I know a way out of this. I know how you can be healed from this. I know this is what God did for me and this is what God can do for you. I know you can forgive and let them go. Do you know, I want to tell you, you can be stronger than your abuser. Did you hear what I'm saying? You can rise above the one who knocked you down. You can stand up while they fall. Why? Because this is what you're saying. I don't like what you did to me. It was wrong what you did to me. I don't condone what you did to me. And listen to this, and I'm not going to let you do that to me anymore. But I take my hands off you and I put you in the hands hands of almighty God and I let you go and I walk off and what you did won't go with me I forgive you not because you deserve it not because you ask it but because Jesus forgave me I forgive you and I walk off from this and you can't control me any longer what you did doesn't hold me my identity is not a slave it's free my identity is not broken it is whole I walk off and put this in the hands of God you're stronger than your abuser. So you've got to stop collecting debts. Did you hear what I said? You have to stop collecting debt. What does that mean? You can't live your whole life walking around saying, you owe me. You owe me. 
you owe me. You owe me. You owe me an apology. They may never give it to you. They may be dead. You owe me this. You owe me that. Can I tell you something? Nobody owes me anything. Do you know why? Because Jesus settled the score on the cross. He paid the debt. You don't have to pay me back. Jesus took care of the debt. You don't owe me. I forgive you. I'm not under your power. I'm not under what you did. I'm not a beggar. I'm not walking around with a broken identity. Paid in full on the cross. I am out of debt and you don't owe me. And I'm going this way free. Why? Because Jesus settled the score. I'm not a debt collector. You're not a debt collector. You don't have to go through life saying somebody owes me. Never forget, church family, please listen, that at the bottom line behind all victimization, please get this, is we cannot just look at people. There is a strategy out of the pit of hell. Satan is the one, the puppet master, controlling the people who hurt you and wounded you. And bruised you. And as long as we fight people, we never get to the real issue of why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. See, it's really not the personality that's my problem. It's the principality behind the personality. Satan who wants to steal and kill and destroy. Can I give you some good news? Satan, the puppet master, creating the victimization and abuse. When you come to Jesus Christ, he cuts the strings and frees the puppet from the puppet master. And the one that used to control has lost his authority and his power to work in our life. See, let me ask you some questions. Are you dealing with victimization from a biblical point of view? Or have you gotten trapped with something that's not going to help you? Let me ask you some real questions. Who do you identify with right now? Who are your peers? Who do you identify with? What's the fruit of their lifestyle? See, as a believer, just because somebody says, I was hurt like you were hurt, doesn't mean I need to hang out with them. See, just because we carry the same uh, victimization doesn't mean you're my source. So before I'm going to hang out with somebody, I'm not just going to hang out and open my life and become part of something that our only point of agreement is how we were hurt. I want to know what's your lifestyle? What do you live like? Who are you? What have you become? I'm not just going to hang out with anybody. Who do you identify with? You with me? Thank you for those 10 people. Who or what pushes you to Christ? Who or what pushes you to Christ? Are, Are the people you identify, are they pushing you to Christ or pulling you from Christ? Is the conversation you have with these people negative or positive? When you've done talking with them and the conversation's over, listen to me closely, does it release faith in your life? Did you walk off with hope? Did you carry freedom from that conversation? Did you walk off with a heart of forgiveness? Did you leave with a heart of gratitude? Did you leave with a passion for Christ? Or did that exposure and that conversation and that meeting, did it leave you bitter? Did it leave you powerless? Did it leave you angry? Did it leave you full of revenge? Are you critical? Did it leave, make you divisive? Are you compromising your faith? Are you lukewarm in your love for Jesus? If that's what it did for you, you're identifying with the wrong people and they are not going to bring freedom into your life. So our identity is not who hurt me. Our identity is who healed me. You understand that? It, we, we have to walk to that place. I have a list here. I don't have time for it. I want you to look at this. Look, 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 look. See this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 100 scriptures that say who you are in Jesus Christ. 
100 scriptures that said my identity is not broken and angry and wounded and can't get there and don't know what to do that say we're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. We're an overcomer. We're more than conquerors. We're forgiven. We're chosen. We're sons. We're daughters. We're free. We're whole. 100 different places in the word of God says you can't give me an identity. I've received my identity from almighty God. It's not what you do. It's what he did. I'm not a victim. I was victim but I'm not a victim. How many heard what I said just then? You may have been victimized, but you're not a victim. You may have been abused, but you're not broken. You may have been wounded, but you've been healed. There is a healer. His name is Jesus. There is a deliverer. His name is Jesus. If you don't want to be a victim, you can be set free by the power of Almighty God. Let, let, let me push to a place. Do, do you really want the whole truth? Nothing but the truth. So help me God. All right, you ask for it. Go to John chapter five. We've, we've, we've got to bring this to an end. I'm going to work on this next week because this is a strategy that Satan is using to tie up wonderful men and women. John five. But I'm glad Jesus asked this question first. Now you got to remember, I'm going to ask you a hard question, but Jesus asked it first. So I'm just carrying the mail. I didn't write the letter. You with me? John 5, 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there was in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. That's, well, in Alabama, we call it a porch. Okay, (laughs) covered. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Their issues were real. It was painful. It was hard. It was real what they dealt with. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now watch this encounter. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, here's the million dollar, billion dollar question. Are you with me, guy? We're talking about what? Victimization, identity, and your label. Watch me. What did Jesus say to him? He didn't say, do you think I can heal you? He didn't say, do you know who I am? Look at this. It seems almost like a ridiculous question. He said, do you want to get well? Well, of course you want to get well. That's why he's laying around the pool. Of course I want to get well. But that's what he asked him. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to get well? Can I be very honest with you today? That may be one of the most important questions you'll ever ask yourself. Because if we allow victimization to become our identity, and we develop a lifestyle and a circle of friends, and a way we operate and think, see, my identity is how I look at myself and how I relate to the world around me. And there are a lot of folks today that have been in this thing so long, the real question is, not is God able, but do you want him to? Did you get that? Do you, do you want to be healed? Well, come on, of course I do. Well, no, do you want to be? Are you, are you ready to get a new identity? Are you ready to come out of this thing? Do you want to be made whole or do you just want a little help? Do you want to be made whole or you just want to get through the night? Do you, do you want your life to change? Listen, I've told you this story. I've got to hurry. Uh, and I wouldn't repeat this if anybody was, could, could follow up and be hurt by it. Early, early on in the church, I went to a group of young adults from our church and we were at a, a crusade. It was a phenomenal uh, meeting, and people were being physically healed. And, 
And uh, uh, there was a lady that went up on the platform and testified that she had been healed of deafness. And it was obvious. They, she was turning her back to people. And they were whispering. And she was saying every word. Her family was crying and thanking God. It was a miraculous moment. And suddenly her testimony exploded faith in that room. And people all over this big auditorium began to be other people healed of, of deafness. It was just amazing. And one of the young ladies with us was profoundly hard of hearing. She wore these very expensive hearing devices. She worked in the, uh, uh, in the hearing challenge, the hard of hearing field, and she was a leader in that community, and she worked for, that's her job, that's her identity, and, 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 and just she couldn't hear uh, just these hearing aids. She barely helped her just take any sounds, and everything was by sign language and sight. And so God healed her. We watched it. It was amazing. She took those devices off and walked up on that platform. And we, we knew her. I knew this girl. God healed her. It was amazing. But on the ride back home, she started thinking about her friends. They're all deaf. She started thinking about her job. It's for the hearing impaired. She started thinking about her identity. That's who I am. Somewhere on the way home, this isn't a story, I was there. She reached into her purse, and she put those devices back on her ears. And by the time we got back here, the healing was gone. Gone. Never came back. Sometimes, the question is, do you want to be made whole? Are you willing for God to transform your life. See what I'm saying? Are you willing to walk out of what's been your security? Isn't it strange the friends we make with that which hurts us? Isn't it odd the identities we embrace which broke us? Isn't it strange that God has to ask us, do you want to be healed? Well, watch this. He couldn't even answer the question because he told his story so many times. He knew his story better than the answer. Do you want to be healed? Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody gets ahead of me. You see? He didn't even know how to answer the question. Do you want to be healed? He didn't answer, did he want to be healed? He started telling all the reasons why he hadn't been healed. He began to rehearse. His victimization. Well, you see, I can't get in the water. Somebody always gets in there first. I'm here all this time and nobody cares about me and I don't have anybody to help me and they help them and I don't have anybody to help me and it's not my fault. I'm here. Deep, bop, boop, bop, bop, bop. I, know, I know I'm stepping on thin ice right now. I know I am. I know I am. You, you, you've sucked almost all the oxygen out of this room. You know, while I'm talking, you guys have been going, I can barely breathe in here right now, okay? I feel it. But I love you enough to risk it because I want you free. Do you want to be healed? I didn't ask you how you got there. Jesus didn't say who you had to blame. He said, do you want me to make you new? Do you want the new to come in and the old to leave? Are you willing? Oh, boy, it's quiet in here. Do you see? Do do you want to leave those old people behind? Come on. Huh? You want to throw your, you want to uh, delete your contacts on your phone? Well, I, I need a parachute. Well, then you don't want to be healed. I need a plan B. Well, then you're not ready. See, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That's the issue. 
He couldn't even answer him, but in the kindness of God, look at this, look at this. Then Jesus said to him, just get up, just get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked, look, the day in which he took was called the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Is that ridiculous? See what the rule keepers did. They didn't even care he was healed. They said, you broke the law. You broke the rules. Religion will never free you. Only a power of Jesus will free you. The guidelines will free you. See, listen, some people have become so comfortable with victimization that they would rather you stay sick than break their little rules of the club. There are some people that are so comfortable with brokenness that you insult them when you become whole. There are some people that are so entrenched in what broke them and they're so deep in their victimization and their whole identity is wrapped up in it that if you have the audacity to let Jesus heal you and the new life comes in, they're going to get mad at you that you're not lying on your mat anymore. But I tell you, pick it up anyway. Put it under your arm and walk out with the grace of God. We can't call you the lame man anymore while you're walking. Come on. We can't call you the addict. When you're not taking the drugs, we can't call you the abuser. When you stopped abusing people, there is a title God has for you that no man can give you. Just get up, pick up the mat, tell the old to go. We're coming into a new place. Come on, let's stand on our feet right now, everybody. Jesus, we stand. Come on, let's give him thanks, everybody, right now. Lord, we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, we just need to stop here. I've got so much more I want to tell you. But I want you to know that God's too big to let the devil put a title on you. God's too great to let the devil give you an identity that's less than what he planned for you. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I'm not the George Sawyer I used to be. I'm so thankful that I met Jesus. And the things I couldn't get out, Jesus pushed them out when he walked inside my soul. My spirit changed my life. Hey, let's lay our titles down today. Would you do it? Let's lay down our labels. You don't need to be known by what you can't do. (laughs) You don't need to be known by where you blew it. You don't need to live the rest of your life with your head down because of what someone else did to you. Huh? You need to be healed. There is a healer. There is a deliverer. His name is Jesus. He's as close as your next breath. You know what he's saying to his church today? I love you guys. I died on a cross for you guys. Do you want me to heal you? Do you want me to walk into your life? Oh, some things might change. But this is what I found. Everything I ever held on that took the place of Jesus was a counterfeit for something much better he'd bring in my life. Let's trust him today. Let's let go of things. Let's become vulnerable. Let's say, Jesus, I don't know who's going to come out on the other side with me. But if you set me free, I'm going. You're with me? If you set me free, I'm going. You know that man that's paying your bills? You don't need him. You heard me. I said it straight up. I know one named Jehovah 
Jireh, the God who provides, who sees what you need before you get there. (laughs) You know those people that every time you try to stand up, they push you down. You stand up anyway this next time. And you tell them, I'm not who I was. I'm bigger than the abuse. I'm not a victim. I I was victimized, but I'm not a victim. You don't know me anymore by what I was. You know me by who I am in Jesus Christ. Some people say, well, pastor, they're not going to believe me. Then shut your mouth and put your head down and walk the walk. And after a while, your life will preach so loud, they'll have to shut their mouth and say, only Jesus. Only Jesus. You may be the least one in your family. You may be rejected and turned away and disgraced and ostracized. But the day will come if you'll let him forgive you and free you and set you free. You'll lead that family into the kingdom of God. He will send a revival and an awakening and salvation to a torn up, dysfunctional family unit. And you're the one that's going to turn it in another direction. Just go with him. Just go with him.